Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Soul City Church, it's good to be here, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you uh, Why don't you turn to some of the folks around you and just give them whatever greeting you feel comfortable with today? Fist bumps, elbow bumps, firm handshakes with direct eye contact, whatever you're comfortable with. If you are joining us online, uh, if you're worshiping with us online, we're so glad that you decided to join us. Please greet us in the chat. Maybe throw your favorite emoji in the chat or let us know where you're watching from. Again, we're really glad that you decided to worship with us today. Well, as you're getting seated, welcome, Soul City Church. How are we doing this morning? Good, that was was like a 56%, which is totally fine, totally legal, but you should know I'm coming up here at like a firm 100, okay? And so so I'm just hoping that y'all can come meet me up here at some point today. Uh, If we haven't met yet, or maybe you're new around here, my name is John. I am one of the teaching pastors here. And as I just mentioned, I really am so glad that all of us are gathered here together. This really is a privilege. It's a privilege to be with all of you. And I'm really excited because we are in week two of a brand new teaching series that we are calling Anything and Everything. And in this series, we're walking through the New Testament book of Colossians, and we're discovering what it looks like for us to worship the God of all things in all things. God of all things in everything in our lives. And even though we're only in this series for about a month or so, you should know that the theme and the hope and the desire of this series is actually central to who we are as a church. The way that we talk about it around here is we say that at Soul City, we exist to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And if you're unfamiliar with that language, what it essentially means is we desire to see the God who can transform anything to transform everything in our lives, to actually transform every piece, every part of us with his goodness and with his love. And there's many ways that that transformation process happens. We're going to talk about a few of them today. But one of the ways that that consistently happens around here is through the practice of generosity, through giving. Now, I don't know what your church background is, but you should know that we work really, really hard around here to ensure that this is not a guilt-based or obligation-based practice, but we believe that the practice of generosity is actually a practice in gratitude, where we recognize that everything we have, including our money and our finances, all of that comes from God. And so just out of deep gratitude for how generous God has been to us, We want to generously give a portion of that back to him. That's what this is all about. And so if you're here this morning or you're worshiping online and you're ready to give, you want to take part in this gratitude practice, you can do that in three ways. Uh, You can give by texting the number that is on the screen behind me. Uh, You can set up your giving online on our website. That's how my wife and I do it. Or if you are in this room, our volunteers are walking down the aisles right now with the buckets that they are going to pass. That's right, the buckets are back, people. So if you really like the feeling, that physical feeling of giving as those buckets are passed around, uh, you can give in that way as well. Well, as those are being passed, I wanted to give a little bit of a personal life update for you all. Is that okay? Okay, 
that's okay with three of you. So, uh, as, as some of you may know, uh, my wife Erin and I, we are just a few weeks away from welcoming our first child into the world. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't applaud me, applaud her. She has done most of the work. But um, that obviously means we're very excited. And with a baby due very, very soon, that also means we got a lot of stuff to do. Like, we got a lot of stuff to prepare. And so I spent the majority of my weeks, my week this week, hanging frames in the nursery and ordering new window treatments and building strollers and swings and setting up a crib camera. Let me tell you, this baby has more tech, more seating, and more clothes than I have ever had in our place. But it was just a really busy week for me. I was either working on this teaching or I was prepping for baby or I was trying to help Aaron sleep while she's 36 weeks pregnant, which as far as we know is physically impossible, but we'll see. Uh, but with all of that, I am proud to report that even though it was a busy week, even though there were a lot of other things that fell through the cracks, I am still proud to report that I still found the discipline and I still found the time to scroll for multiple hours a day on my phone. <laughs> thank you, thank you, I know. It's, it's quite impressive. I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me. It seems like no matter how busy my life gets, I always seem to find a couple hours to mindlessly scroll. And just so I don't feel like that time was a complete waste, do you mind if I share some of the things with you that I found on the internet this week? Because here's the thing, if they end up in the sermon, then the scrolling technically counts as work. Yes? So, here we go. Here's just a few things that I found on the internet this week. A few gems. Here's one of them. How many of you, this was true of you during quarantine? Like, we cooked from home so often, and then all of a sudden, it was like every restaurant had a deal. It was like they were begging me to order takeout. It was just unfair. It was unfair. Okay, this next one is a little bit niche, but if you're a fan, you'll get it. I promise. How many of you are House Hunters fans? HGTV fans, where are you at? This is so true. Where do, this, where do these people get their money? I don't understand it. I need to change careers. I don't know. And finally, this is one, this is again, a bit of a niche one, but if you have a dog, you'll get it, I promise you. Every dang time. Every time. But I'm here to say this, and I said it at the first service and I'm doubling down. I don't care how many times a dog does this, it will never convince me to get a cat. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But you know, have you noticed that these algorithms on these social media platforms, have you noticed how good and how specific these algorithms are getting? I don't know if you noticed this, but this week I was scrolling through a little bit and all of a sudden the algorithm fed me in a meme that honestly just felt like a personal attack from the internet. Here's what it was. Here's what I found. Now, I'll be totally honest with you. I made this meme. <laughs> Probably during my procrastination and also as a way to process my procrastination. But I, I think one of the reasons that, that we love these internet memes so much, I, I follow a lot of meme content online, which is sort of a weird thing to say, but it's true. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that I love so much about a good meme is that they're true. 
Like they're expressing something that is true. And that's why I love this image of the car just doing a hard swerve to the right. Because it is expressing something that is so, so true in our culture. That, that we live in a world where it is so easy for us to get distracted or just to quickly veer away from what we were supposed to be doing or to get distracted from the direction that we wanted our life or our day to go. This happens in our work. It happened with me in prepping this sermon. But this also happens in our fitness and nutrition goals, right? This can happen in our relationships or in our finances. This can happen in any area of our lives. But this morning, I want to talk about how this happens in our faith. Has this ever happened to anyone? I'll tell you what, even, even for me, you know, I, there are times where I enter into my week with the best of intentions spiritually. Like, I'm going to pray more. I'm going to actually do the homework that Jarrett assigned each day. And then I end up spending my time and attention on basically anything else. Or, or how about this? Now, maybe you're immune to this. I am, sometimes. But this happens so often, doesn't it? How often do we see this where we know what Jesus has said? We know the kind of life he has called us to live, and then you see your uncle acting a fool on Facebook, right? Then you see that guy that you went to college with spouting his political opinion as though it is absolute fact. Or then we see anyone that we disagree with in any way. And we say, yeah, Jesus, I know you said to love your enemies, but I got to tell them how wrong they are. I got to show them how right I am at all costs. And this doesn't just happen at an individual level, right? But we've talked about before the dangers of when this happens at an institutional level as well. The dangers of when the church gets caught up in a race for power rather than in her call to service. When we as Christians become more concerned with defending a system of belief rather than actually walking by faith. Or when we create a church culture that is more about upholding the status quo than it is about living out the sacrificial love of Jesus. It is so easy for us to drift. It's just so easy for us to get distracted, to lose sight of who God has called us to be in the world, what God really wants us to be about. And so the question that I want us to wrestle with during the rest of our time is how do we keep that from happening? How do we steer clear of drifting? How do we actually stay on that path? How do we continue in the direction of Christ in a culture of distraction? How do we continue to follow Jesus and Jesus alone, when there are so many other forces and movements and arguments that feel like they're just swirling around us at all times of the day. Really what we're asking today, to borrow a phrase, is how do we keep the main thing the main thing? Well, luckily for us, this is the same question that an early church leader named Paul was wrestling with in conjunction with an early church in a city called Colossae, somewhere around 2,000 years ago. 
So if you have a Bible, grab it and open it up to Colossians chapter 2. If you're online, grab your own Bible, maybe open up a tab. You might be in this room and see people reaching under their seats. That's because there's a Bible under there. We left one there for you for this moment exactly. This is your time. So you can go ahead and grab that. And in the Soul City Bible, uh, Colossians 2 is on page 954, page 954. So as uh, Jarrett mentioned last week, the book of Colossians was actually originally a letter written by an early church founder, a guy named Paul, to one of the very first Christian churches in a small city called Colossae. Now something that's important for us to understand as we read through Colossians is that the majority of the people in this church were brand new followers of Jesus. Some of you in this room might consider yourself new to this whole church thing. You're in good company. This church, they were brand new followers of Jesus, and Paul is writing to them to encourage them in their faith. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, essentially what he means is just as you have entered into, as we would say, a transforming relationship with Jesus. That's what he means. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Then he says in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. So let's break this down a little bit, shall we? If we are to use the image of a car swerving, like we were talking about earlier, living in Christ, following Jesus, that is our arrow pointing forward. And Paul, he's encouraging this church, continue in that way. Like, continue to live your lives in and through and for and about Jesus. And then in verse 8, he warns them about getting distracted by anything else. Specifically, what he calls hollow or deceptive philosophy. Now, philosophy professors and students in the room, don't worry, Paul is not coming for you here. When Paul talks about philosophy, he's not talking about one area of study in liberal arts education. What Paul is talking about is several different cultural narratives and movements and pressures that these Colossian Christians are consistently running into in their faith journey. And if you continue to read the chapter, he actually goes on to list many of those pressures in detail. But they can all basically be summed up in two major cultural movements that these new Christians were facing. And I actually want to take some time to describe each of these movements to you because my belief is in that under, if we understand what they were facing and what they were walking through, it might just help us navigate what we're facing and what we're walking through. So can you forgive me a little bit? Can we do a little bit of historical, biblical context real quick? Okay, let's get nerdy. Come on. All right, here we go. So, the first wave, the first cultural pressure that these Colossian Christians were facing was the movement of Jewish fundamentalism. Now, some of you may know that the Christian religion was originally founded out of ancient Judaism. And for ancient Jews, their belief was that your standing before God 
was based on how well you could follow and observe the commands of what they called the law. And the law was this super strict religious code. So the idea was that if you could follow all of the rules, then you were good with God. That's what the Jewish fundamentalists believed. Now comes along the Christian religion. And the Christians believed that because of Jesus, everything had changed when it comes to how we relate to God. Christians believed, and still do, that the way to relate to God was no longer through strict adherence to every letter of the law, but the way to relate to God was through Christ alone, through a relationship with Jesus. However, in this time, there were still some Jewish Christians that were going around and spreading this idea that in order to truly be a follower of Jesus, you still had to follow every word of the Jewish law. In other words, it's almost as if the Colossians live in a culture where there are these incredibly religious folks who are saying that your faith is only valid if you can follow all of the rules. Could you imagine? (laughs) A group of people who consistently seem to prioritize legalism and law over love. People who are judgmental of anyone who couldn't follow their strict code book. People who are hypocritical because they profess something that they actually don't follow perfectly themselves, folks who create a religious culture that is based on shame and guilt and making you feel like you could never live up. That's the Jewish fundamentalist movement. That's one pressure these new Christians were facing. But then on the other side, these Colossians were facing a movement of mystical polytheism, mystical polytheism. You should know that most of these new Christians in Colossae, they did not grow up Jewish meaning that they did not grow up observing the law. They grew up worshiping a whole bunch of different gods and goddesses. Jarrett talked about this a little bit last week, how in their culture, they were always looking for the hip, mysterious, new religious movement of the day, the flashy new god or gods that they could worship. And so there were many in this culture that simply wanted to take Jesus and add him to the long list of deities that they already had. But chances are, as soon as a new flavor of the month came along, they would discard Jesus and move on. It's almost as if the Colossians live in a culture where tastes and passions and trends are constantly changing. Where people are just searching for the next feel-good experience, The next big thing that's only going to last a short time because for them, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. A culture where devotion is wholeheartedly given to what is popular in the moment. But be careful because what's cool one day is going to get canceled the next. A culture where if it's new, it's true, but only for a minute. A culture where our lives are built on nothing more than what is hot, what is new, what is now. Again, could you imagine living in a world like that? (laughs) These are the pressures that these brand new Christians are having to navigate. A faith that is all based on rules and legalism and a world that tells you you just need to go with wherever the cultural winds blow. 
And according to Paul, both of these paths are hollow and deceptive philosophies. Now, that's not to say that they are all bad. It doesn't mean that the Colossian Christians are meant to live completely isolated from the world that their church is in. It just means that those things, they're not the main thing. It just means that they're not the center. They're not the foundation that we are meant to root our life in and build our life on. What Paul is essentially highlighting here is the difference between a faith that is truly centered on Jesus versus a faith that is driven by distraction. And if you haven't caught on yet, we live in that same tension, don't we? We live in that same tension in our world. Regardless of where you might be at in terms of your faith journey today, we all live in this tension between wanting to have a spirituality and a faith that is truly centered on the good news of Jesus versus one that is trying to push some other agenda or philosophy. Like we live in this same tension when we find ourselves consistently using phrases like, you can't call yourself a Christian if you vote this way or if you vote that way. If you find yourself thinking this or even saying this a lot, can I just humbly suggest you might be driven by a distraction. Now, this is not to say that how we vote or voted doesn't matter. Certainly not. It matters very much. But this is to say that especially in our culture, politics and political identity, it's so easy for those things to creep in and take Jesus' place as the main pursuit of our lives. Or how about this? If your litmus test for whether someone is in or out, is whether they interpret a single verse of the Bible the same way you do, then you're probably being driven by a distraction. Again, doesn't mean that we don't look to the Bible as a source of authority. It doesn't mean that good, responsible, biblical interpretation isn't important. It just means that even religious things, especially religious things, can sometimes sweep in and take Jesus' place from what our lives are truly supposed to be focused on. Or maybe for you, it's not really societal. Maybe for you, it's more personal. I know what it often is for me. If I'm totally honest, sometimes it can be as small and as silly for me as how I'm perceived by other people. Listen, I want you all to like me. I want you to think I'm good at my job. But sometimes if I'm not careful, my desire to have a good reputation in our church and in the world can actually be a distraction keeping me from representing Christ well to our church and the world. I was in a conversation with someone who goes to our church this week, someone who was walking through something and they just wanted some space to to process and to pray. And in the midst of our conversation, I found myself talking a whole lot And in the midst of all this talking, I felt this small question pop into my head that I believe was from the Holy Spirit, and it said, John, are you really trying to love this person well, or are you just trying to impress them? Are you just trying to impress them with how intelligent you are, how thoughtful you can be, how wise you can be? Maybe for you, 
You can become easily distracted by career success or by your physical appearance or by your deep desire to find a spouse. Maybe for you, your life is often driven by an obsession to prove your parents wrong. Or maybe it's all about getting revenge on an institution that you feel did you wrong. Listen, again, not all of these things are bad. In fact, a lot of them, they're really, really good things. But at the end of the day, we are not meant to follow distractions. At the end of the day, those things are not the main thing. Our invitation is to focus on and to follow Jesus. Our invitation is what Paul says at the end of his whole thing. At the beginning of Colossians chapter 3, he says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Meaning, if you are in relationship with Jesus, that means you have a new life. You have a new identity, which means that your life, it's about a whole new set of things. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Listen, our calling is not to be driven by the many, many, many distractions our world can throw at us. Our calling is is to be led by the one who is over and above and the conqueror of it all. So, the question now is, how do we actually do that? Like, how do we actually keep the main thing the main thing? How do we, as the song suggested earlier, fix our eyes on Jesus and keep from being pulled away by these distractions, especially in a world where it seems like there are so many of them. And all of these distractions, all these other narratives, they come at us with such consistency and such force and they pull us in all these different directions. How do we do this? Well, I wanna try and show you. George, would you mind coming up here with me for a second? Let's give a hand for George. <laughs> Wonderful. Come here, George. George, I just need you to stand right here. For me. So, this is going to be really, 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 really simple. All I need everyone in here to do, you included, George, for the next 30 seconds, all I need all of you to do is listen to every word that I say. Some of you haven't been doing that at all so far. That's okay. Now's your moment to redeem yourself. For the next 30 seconds, all you need to do, George and everyone, is listen to every word that I say. Are you ready? Are you ready? I think so. Okay, let's do it. My prayer for this church is that we would be one. In the same way that Jesus is one with the Father, I pray that we would be one with one another. I pray that through our unity, that the world would see and know the goodness of God. In the same way that we are united with one another, I pray that you Raise your hand if you heard every word that I said. <laughs> Good job, George. So here's the question. Why is it that none of you could hear me and George could? 
because of how close he is to me, right? Because of his proximity to me. What I'm trying to get you to see, you've already seen it, but I'll add a rhymey type phrase that'll make it easy to remember. The greater your closeness, the greater your focus. The greater your closeness to a thing, the more your life will be focused on and driven by that thing. And this is true about anything in your life. Like if in your life, the main thing that you draw close to is the 24-hour news cycle or, or social media or, or the distraction of careerism, right? Or power or religion or status. If that is what you draw closest to in your life, then your life is going to be focused on and driven by that thing. However, if I draw close to Jesus in transforming relationship with him, when I draw near to God, well then, my life, as Paul says, it continues in him. It is rooted, it is built up in his way, his goodness, his love, it leads my life. It doesn't mean that George doesn't have other passions, it doesn't mean that George doesn't have other pursuits in his life. It just means that when he's close to Jesus, those things are no longer a distraction from his faith. They actually become an expression of it. And so George can go out in the world and he can do work in all these different areas that used to be a distraction, but now he's carrying the name of Jesus. Now he's carrying the love of Jesus. Now it's an expression of faith rather than a distraction. Our closeness to Jesus increases our focus on Jesus. George, thank you. You've done great. You can have a seat. And so our work for the week, we always give a little homework around here. Our work for the week is actually a two-parter because it's important that we do this in two parts. First, part one, is this week just notice what is at the center for you. Just notice what you are being drawn to other than the main thing. When you find yourself getting distracted, when you find yourself scrolling through and you got thumbs ready to comment, just notice, what is it that is distracting you from the main thing? You don't have to judge yourself for it. You don't have to be super harsh. It just begins with noticing. We all have something that we are placing at the center rather than Jesus. That's part one, just to notice. And then part two, is to draw near to Jesus this week. Whatever your faith, whatever your relationship with Jesus currently looks like, whether you're an all-in lifetime Christian or whether you're just trying this thing out, the best part about this, this is work that we can all do. In fact, it's work we all need to do. This is work that I need to do more and more consistently. And so each day this week, what we're going to do is we're going to set aside some intentional time just to be with Jesus. And just to make sure that we actually do this, maybe to hold ourselves accountable, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your phone right now. I mean it. Go ahead, pull out your phone. And I want you to set an alarm at some point in your day to remind yourself to spend five minutes with Jesus. If you have an iPhone, you can literally label this alarm five minutes with Jesus. If you don't have an iPhone, I don't know what to tell you. Visit the prayer hall and work that out in your life, okay? <laughs> But what you're going to do is you're going to set this alarm at a time in your day when you can just stop whatever you're doing for five minutes 
and just draw close. Draw near to God. You can do that by praying for those five minutes. You can just read scripture for five minutes. You can listen to worship music for five minutes. You can just sit and breathe in the presence of God. All this is, it's an opportunity in a world that moves so fast, in a world with so many headlines, so many voices, so many things pulling us every which way. This is an opportunity for all of us to draw close to Jesus, to focus on him so that our lives can center more and more on his way and his goodness. And the good news is, you're actually going to get a head start on your homework right now. You're going to be able to finish it, actually, before you even leave. You're welcome. We are about to to sing a song together. And that song is about five minutes long. We didn't plan this. And you can use this next song as your five minutes to be with Jesus. Uh, don't use this five minutes to like maybe sneak out early. Your brunch will still be there. You know, don't worry about you know, talking to the person next to you, telling them how good the sermon was. We all know. But this is just, this is, this is your moment. This is a time, whatever that looks like for you, to draw close to Jesus in this time. So if you're in this room, would you please stand with me as we pray? If you're worshiping with us online, take whatever posture is comfortable for you in your living room. And then let's pray together. God, thank you that you're a God who we can draw near to. Thank you that you're a God who, through Jesus, you have made yourself rampantly available. You are constantly available. I'm, I'm sensing that maybe there are a few in this room right now who hear an instruction to draw near to Jesus and there's a question in their mind of, does Jesus want to draw near to me? Like there's, there's some doubt that Jesus would even want to be the center of my life. There's doubt that Jesus would actually want to spend five minutes hearing from me. God, I pray that you would tear that down. Jesus, you desire that so badly that you were willing to give up everything. You were willing to give up your life also that we could have this kind of relationship with you, an intimate, personal relationship where we draw close to you consistently. And so I pray that we would do that right now. Would we push through and push away all the other distractions, all the other fears, and would we put, as the song we're about to sing says, Jesus at the center. Jesus, come be the center of our lives. Be the center of our work. Be the center of our families. Be the center of our relationships and our marriages and our friendships. Jesus, come be the center of everything. We give you this time. We give you our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.